Amen, amen, amen. It's uh, great <laughs> to see you here, and it's good to see you looking so healthy this week. Uh, thankfully, with a respite with uh, cancer treatment. Bless you, bless you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> good to see you smiling again, Ali. It's great. I, uh, you know, that's uh, actually I didn't think of this as an intro to what I'm saying, but I. I want to talk uh, today about overcoming opposition and, uh, and uh, just your smile and seeing how you've uh, dealt with some difficult uh, times. Yeah, Ali, uh, you're inspiring many of us in overcoming uh, opposition uh, to dealing with cancer treatment. Uh, I was in the, the bookstore recently and uh, I think it was, you know, they put the books out on the New York best-selling list and uh, I think it was in that section uh, there's one book that had a, a title that actually sent a chill right down my spine. Uh, and the, the title of the book was The Upcoming Civil War. And I thought, wow. America, the upcoming civil war? Is that, really even, is that really even like possible? Is that where we're at? Is that where we're heading? I mean, I, I just had a pause. Uh, and think, you know, uh, how do we deal with with opposition, we all face opposition in one form or another. But how do we deal with it? And we got, uh, you know, this tr tragedy in Ferguson, Missouri, and uh, waiting to find out, well, how's that going to play out? Uh, what's going to be the result there? And and uh, you probably all know the fact pattern, or at least the uh, part of the fact pattern, right? A white Police officer, 28-year-old, Darren Wilson, and he shoots a teenager, a black a teenager, 18, Michael Brown, who's unarmed, and uh, that has set off a, a major tension in our country. And as I uh, look at that, it seems like there's two narratives uh, that are running parallel. The one narrative is, if you're white, uh, and uh, you're saying, hey, listen, we don't want any violence. We don't want any unrest. We don't want any uh, destruction. We need law and order. We need peace. Just let this trial you know, roll out, and justice will prevail. Let, just let's get the thing. Let's just stay calm, and uh, we'll sort it out. That's what I'd say, the white narrative. The black narrative is quite the opposite. They're saying, we've had enough. Uh, law and order is not prevailing. This has been going on for years. Uh, we are feeling like we have no say. We feel like because we have a black skin, we are second-class citizens. We don't have the right. We have uh, you know, disproportionate number of arrests, and, and the justice system is not bringing justice. It's just keeping the empowered empowered. And so, you know, finally, this is the uh, the cause or the case that we're going to rally around, and uh, we want to see, we want to see real change and real justice. And you say, "Wow, uh, how as a country are we going to deal with uh, this sort of conflict? Uh, we seem like the, the the stakes or the conflicts are just so high." But if we, uh, you know, whatever side you're on, however you think about that, uh, I mean, there's there's tension there. But if we bring it down a level and we say, well, what about our own lives and our own towns? And uh, what about the conflicts that we're dealing with here? How do we 
process that. Uh, we, we all go through life where we're dealing with conflict, and conflicts are never pleasant. Uh, if you, you know, right in, a, in your family situation, uh, if you're dealing with conflict, uh, uh, you may be just dealing with, you know, arguments or difference of opinion, but uh, you might be dealing with conflict in a, in a much uh, heightened way. Uh, you might be dealing with divorce, uh, recent divorce, or impending divorce, or, you know, some level of just heightened conflict, and it's like you just, the tension is just so heavy. I mean, how do you deal with that? How, how do you respond to that? Uh, if you're a senior executive in a corporation, uh, you know as part of your job description that you're going to be dealing with conflict. Because whenever you try and implement something, make a change, uh, you're going to pick up resistance. But as senior executives, as management, uh, it's not personal so much. I mean, you just know that's part of the job. Making progress, you're going to pick up opposition. But how do you do it? How do you manage it? How do you uh, do well at, at, at conflict management? How do you deal with overcoming uh, opposition? How does that work? You might be, uh, say, a, a high school student, and you want to decide to have a Bible study. Uh, I know this track. My son did this. Uh, he, he decided he wanted to have a Bible study, uh, and I didn't ask him to do it. Uh, he didn't ask any teacher's permission to do it. He just said, hey, listen, there's other societies in, in, at high school, uh, and he wanted to just do a Bible study. And, well, <laughs> that ended up him having to go before the principal, and the principal really scolding him. And uh, without me really even knowing it, uh, my son said, look, uh, why don't I have equal rights? I mean, and uh, so finally they, they actually hired legal counsel. <laughs> Can you imagine the school board just because my son wanted to do a Bible study? Uh, uh, wow, that's opposition right here in, in, in our schools. And, and look, I've got nothing good to say about our school system. My son's education was terrific. Uh, but you talk about opposition. Uh, you try and bring a Christian perspective of raising your kids, of marriage, of sexuality. Uh, you pick up resistance. Uh, if you in our high school, middle school, and you say you want to do a Bible study or you want to get together with a group of friends and just invite everybody to you know, a prayer group, uh, uh, you'll pick up resistance. You'll pick up opposition. It's it's all around us. How do we deal with the opposition that faces us? Uh, it, again, in the work situation, you might be a teacher, and you're saying, hey, listen, can I just like get an aid? You know? Or uh, you might just say, could I just like focus on teaching instead of all the other requirements that you have to meet and tests you have to do? Can I just like emphasize teaching as opposed to you know, did you do this and did you do that? And have you met all these other external legal imp implied uh, criteria? And you just pick up opposition, just even trying to do your job. How do we deal with opposition? How do we do this? Uh, I want us to uh, look at this today. I'm looking at it in the context of a series which I've been doing. We're in the middle of this series. And the series is Leadership, Buildings, and Faith. And part of any uh, change, when we're looking, at, looking for a new facility, uh, I'm more than aware of the fact that we're going to pick up uh, conflict. Uh, it just 
because it's change, not because it's people are evil or not because you guys are. I mean, I love you guys. But I also understand that we're not all going to be on the same page. I mean, hopefully very soon we will have some options of what we're looking at at a place. I, I can tell you in advance, not even knowing what the place is, because we've got the brokers running out there looking for something for us now that we can look at, right? Hopefully they'll find something. We don't know what. But I guarantee when, whatever we come up with and we find, uh, the predictable is going to be this. I don't like it. It's either too small or it's too far from my house or that's not what I was expecting or, you know, what I really thought. I mean, it's guaranteed, right? I mean, just let, it's no surprise to anybody. <clears throat> and my job is going to be to see, okay, what is God doing in this? <clears throat> And how do we recognize, uh, you know, legitimate issues? And how do we deal with, with conflict? How do we stay focused on what uh, God is doing? So today, as we, as we look through uh, this section in Nehemiah chapter 4, and it's a wonderful story, and, you know, much of the Old Testament, the wonderful part of the Old Testament is these, these, just these terrific stories. And uh, in the story, we get to understand the character of God uh, in the sense that God doesn't change. And so how do people relate to God, even in the Old Testament? How does this work? What is the story? So if you've uh, got a Bible, maybe you want to find your way there to uh, Nehemiah. And if you use the electronic Bible, of course, you just open it up and hit the tab. If you're using a traditional Bible, you've got to navigate that it's in the Old Testament. It's after Ezra. It's before Esther, Job, uh, Psalms, and, and Proverbs, just to find your way there. But this is what I, uh, this is what I, I would like you to get out of this uh, sermon today, is how do you recognize opposition in your own life? And you might say, well, duh, that's not too difficult. I've got opposition. I, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to recognize it. But then, okay, recognizing and then knowing, okay, how do you respond uh, to opposition? Because we are all going to have opposition. How do we respond to it? What do we do about it? So let me just uh, pray as we jump into this text. Uh, Jesus, uh, I just ask that you'd empower this message as I uh, read it from your word and, and preach your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us individually that there's a sense, Lord, that you're with us and uh, in, us, in our lives corporately and in our lives individually, uh, Lord, that we can come to you and experience your direction and your presence and your input in our lives to help us to overcome uh, opposition. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So interestingly enough, uh, Ezra, the book of Ezra, and the book of Nehemiah in the Jewish writings is one book. Uh, and it's also interesting that in Ezra, Ezra was dealing with the rebuilding of the, the temple. Uh, Ezra chapter 4 also deals with opposition that Ezra faced when building, rebuilding the sacrificial uh, system and the temple. And here in Nehemiah, we find in chapter 4 opposition that Nehemiah experiences 
when trying to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And uh, we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. Now, Sanballat is not a Jew. He is uh, uh, from uh, probably existing a tribe in the area. He doesn't want to see the Jews return. He doesn't want to see the Jews uh, reestablished in their land. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day, by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, the stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Now, <laughs> You know, we read this and we understand, wow, this is uh, pretty insulting. And, you know, one of the reasons why opposition stings or hurts when it's directed at us is that there's often, invariably, some area that there's truth in it. You know, we're doing something good. We, we're trying to do something noble, right? And uh, But we're not perfect people. And so there's something that we mess up on. And you can guarantee that that's the thing that the enemy or whoever's opposing what you're doing is going to focus right in on. They're not going to be excited about the big picture. They're not going to be excited about the sacrifice you've made. They're not going to be excited about, you know, your good motives. They're going to be focusing in on the one or two things that weren't perfect. And in this particular case, it's a direct personal challenge. It says, you know, uh, you are poor and feeble. Wow, like they really need to know that. They know that they're poor. They know that they're feeble. They know that they are struggling, returning to the land. they broke. They don't have a dime to spare. They know that life is a struggle. And uh, they realize that they're like, you know, a small group of people. And here they're being insulted just for exactly what it is. I mean, all you can do is agree. Yeah, I am. We are small and we are feeble. I mean, you know, we're just a small tribe trying to make do here. And then it's just an attack, you know, uh, who do you think you are? And look how pathetic that wall is. I mean, it's just such a teetering thing, you know, even a fox runs on, it'll just collapse. I mean, you're just useless, just give up and fall over and die. You know, I mean, that's sort of the idea. Just terrible. Opposition is terrible. However, Nehemiah, being a man of God, what does he do? Verse 4, then I prayed. Wow. He didn't yell back at them. He didn't get mad. Uh, he started praying. His initial, his knee-jerk response, uh, not knowing what else to do, uh, his first instinct was to pray. And couldn't we all be like that? Uh, if that would be our response, we would do well. Uh, Nehemiah prays. Now, again, some of the things I love about the Old Testament is listen to this prayer of his. It's not a model prayer. I can tell you that right now. But just listen to this prayer. I like this prayer. It's not a model prayer. I don't recommend you pray this way. But it's a good prayer. It says here, Hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. 
true. Good prayer. <laughs> may their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the, of the builders. I mean, you get what Nehemiah is feeling. It's like, Lord, just sick him, strike him down with lightning, get rid of them, you know, those pesky I mean, he's like mad at them, vengeful. Uh, you, know, you get it. Now, here's the cool thing. When you're mad, you have total freedom to talk like this to God. I mean, God can take it. It's not really that great to talk this way to others. And, you know, as right on the back of last week's message where we were talking about loving your enemies and offering forgiveness, this is not the ideal prayer. But it's a prayer from the heart, right? It's, he's expressing his legitimate frustration and feelings. Now, if it was a New Testament prayer, if it was tempered, you know, by uh, the thoughts of Jesus, uh, maybe he could have said something like, God, I am so mad, I'm so, you know, but I know this is not the way you want me to be. Lord, give me a heart for these people. Give me some understanding of their humanity and, and what it is that they're up to. Lord, just give me some empathy for these people. They're made in your image. They're also human. Uh, just help me out. I mean, you know, maybe you'd pray a little bit like that. But anyway, we, uh, we look at the story as it unfolds. And then in verse 6 it says, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They made up plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Okay, so the opposition is not falling away. The opposition is getting fortified and it's getting stronger. And now not, they're not only uh, throwing insults, now they're threatening you know, physical violence or they're going to attack, uh, they're going to kill you. I mean, the ante is raised up. And what is Nehemiah's response? He says, but we prayed. Not only I prayed, but we prayed. Now it's a whole group of them. They're saying, hey, let's get together. Let all of us pray. There's something powerful when we all get together and we prayed. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. So there's this intense amount of prayer. Uh, it's also a prayer which is now taking on uh, some, some feet, so to speak, where, okay, we have to do something. We actually have to protect ourselves. Uh, you would think uh, things would then get easy. Now, it doesn't, because the very next thing that Nehemiah has to deal with is internal opposition. Now, external opposition is bad, but at least with external opposition, you can kind of unify yourselves, and you can say, okay, that's the opposition. It's out there. We're going to try and deal with that opposition out there. But internal opposition, oh, that's a whole different matter. I mean, it's one thing, you know, if you're a together family and uh, you're dealing with, you know, say, the school system or, or society, and as a family, you're all like-minded, and you say, okay, let's deal with this. That, that's one thing. It's a whole different thing if it's an internal problem. It's your spouse, which is 
you know, asking for divorce or uh, attacking you or, you know, that's, internal problems are, are much harsher. It says here in verse 10, Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Now, in one sense here, you can understand the internal complaint. I mean, these folks are being worn down. They're trying hard. They're working like crazy. And yet, you look at what's still got to get done, and it's like, my gosh, we're halfway done. But really, we still got a long way to go. We are exhausted. How are we going to complete the, the building project? And uh, that's not unreasonable. It's not like the people are being, you know, evil. Uh, it's just that it wears you down. If you're a leader, now you're dealing with not only the external opposition, you're dealing with the internal opposition. And I was uh, speaking to somebody uh, earlier this morning, and, and they were just expressing how frustrating it is in a work scenario when you have somebody, uh, in this particular person's case, he had a colleague that only ever criticizes. It's only like, you know, it's supposed to be positive criticism or constructive criticism, but it's only one direction. It's always, you know, negative. And, you know, after the years and years of trying to work with this person, you just feel so worn down. It's like, geez, it doesn't matter what I do. It's just, you know, it's just, just, it's just wearing. Internal complaining is difficult. But anyway, the workers have a legitimate thing. They're getting tired. And then we pick it up here again in verse 11. Meantime, meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the, the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. Now, verse 13, Nehemiah does something practical about this problem. He does something practical and he does something spiritual. They have spent time praying. Uh, they have been seeking God's intervention. They've been asking for God's peace. They've been asking God to do something, and now they're going to take some very obvious practical steps, but they take them nevertheless. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest part of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord. Okay, so, you know, practical things and spiritual things. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. We are dependent on God. This is not all about us. We are expecting and desiring God to intervene in our lives, intervene in our situations, and do something. And he, you know, he says, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. And fight for your brothers and your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And if you're a movie buff and you like Braveheart, you'd be thinking, okay, here's William Wallace you know, rounding up his ragtag bunch and saying, hey, listen, you know, so what about these Brits, the English? Are they going to, you know, bigger than us? They're going to slaughter us? Uh, you want to just give in to them and, you know, live a miserable rest of a life? Might have a long life, but 
you'll never experience peace. Or, hey, how about we just go out and die today and we'll die in freedom. And you, you might remember that great piece of the movie, right? And it's a similar kind of a thing here where Nehemiah is saying, hey, listen, we've got a great cause here. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord. Remember your wives. Remember your brothers. Remember your sons, your daughters. Hey, we've got a reason to resist this enemy and to finish the task that's ahead of us. I mean, so what if it's going to be hard? So what if we, you know, die doing what we feel is the right thing to do? Let's be focused. Let's do it. Verse 15. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. I mean, it's just a glorious thing. Yeah, God starts doing something. God starts frustrating the enemy's plans. Now, all of a sudden, the wind is taken out of the enemy's sails, and there seems to be a turn. God is at hand. It's not to say that things are now perfectly easy. Verse 16. But from then on, only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah, who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work, with one hand supporting their load, and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Now, you can get it. This is slow, hard work, and it's greatly reduced in its efficiency because now they have to you know, haul weapons around with them. And uh, so now the task of completing the building of the wall is just so much more complicated, so much slower. But nevertheless, they're staying focused. Verse 19, then I explained to the nobles and the officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding, then our God will fight for us. We work late, early and late, from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way, they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who, who were with me, ever took off our clothes. Man, they must have stank. We carried our weapons with us at all times even when we went for water. But what I love about this, there's equal sort of sacrifice. You know, they're all in this together. There's no like the elitist and they're not elitist. Uh, they're all just doing their part, whatever their part is. Now, we know, uh, we, we know from Nehemiah uh, chapter 6, verse 15, that this project got finished in, fi in 52 days. You know, so really what they were able to do in short time with major sacrifice, able, they were able to complete the wall, uh, provide protection for the city, to be reestablished as a nation, and to get the job done, despite the opposition, despite you know, long odds, so to speak. They were able to do it. So again, if I had to uh, summarize uh, you know, what we're looking at today, you can put the slide up for me, uh, Kevin. When we deal with opposition, how do we deal with opposition? Uh, I strongly advise that the first thing we should do is to pray. 
Our first thing should be to pray. And uh, again, Nehemiah prayed individually. I prayed. And then you see down in verse 9, we prayed. I mean, there's a sense of praying. Uh, And the praying doesn't just end in praying. It leads to uh, practical planning. If you're filling in your outline blanks, uh, practical planning. And you see all the things that they do. But it also leads, uh, thirdly, to spiritual protection. There's a sense of, okay, we prayed, we're taking practical action, and we're experiencing spiritual protection. And, you know, no matter what your circumstances, no matter what opposition you're facing, uh, we desire that God would help us uh, in carrying the load, in dealing with our problems. Uh, It's not like we're going to live a life as Christians free from opposition or free from complaints or free from difficulties. Uh, It is a reality and an experience that we should all be able to experience the peace of God despite our difficulties. I mean, there really is that it's not just a promise. It's an experience of like, okay, this really is difficult. But you know what? God is with me. God will give me the strength. I mean, Paul, the apostle, remember, he had this, whatever it was, this thorn in his flesh, whatever that looked like, uh, and he begged God to take it away. But God didn't. God, in his wisdom, decided that for Paul, the apostle, uh, he needed to have this thorn in the, the flesh. Some people think it might have been like epilepsy, you know, where Paul would just, like, be, you know, his gift was preaching, right? So, you know, you just have these moments where you'd fall down and just look like a complete idiot, uh, you know, just totally humiliating. Uh, we, we, we don't know for sure what the thorn in the flesh is. But what I am saying is this. We all have to deal with resistance and opposition and difficulty, and we all have the ability to ask God for strength and for His wisdom and for practical uh, solutions to our everyday problems. We, we, we need that, and God desires to give that to us. We all deal with it. You know, I I was doing a Bible study at uh, Framingham State University for a season. And uh, I'd go up there once a week and it was just for males. And, uh, you know, I was keen to interact with the students there and see where their students were at. And and, uh, I was interested in having some sort of mental stimulation uh, as we interacted with the Bible. But it seemed like we couldn't get off this sort of the one track. And the the track essentially was, uh, I'm stuck with the issues about sexuality. All I'm interested in about is my girlfriend or that my girlfriend doesn't like me or that I need a girlfriend or that I wish I had a girlfriend and uh, I don't know what to do with my sexuality. I'm really frustrated. Uh, I wish that, and I said, okay, so we discussed that one week and I said, okay, next week we're going to like look at something else, Ephesians, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't matter, it seems to matter what part of the Bible I'd take, it, it would gravitate out back to it. What do you want prayer for? Oh, my girlfriend or my sex life or I'm so frustrated or, and I'm like, okay, so after a month, uh, maybe this will change. No, two months, you know, three months. Finally, I'm like, gosh, is there like anything else that <laughs> these guys are thinking about? Uh, you know, these are university students. They are soon to be uh, professional teachers. Uh, I'm like, gosh, this is all consuming. Uh, it just, you know, sometimes we can get so stuck 
in whatever phase we're at in life or whatever things we just feel like for these kids that just felt like that was all-consuming uh, opposition or what they wanted to talk about or pray about or, or discuss in the Bible or, or deal with, uh, it, it just seems like that oppression, in a sense, because it certainly didn't come across as freedom, uh, was all-consuming. And, uh, you know, and again and again, as I try to explain to these folks, look, there really is tremendous joy and tremendous freedom in the ways of God. Uh, you don't have to be stuck in this uh, dilemma that you guys are in. There was a reluctance to want to embrace Christ's way, uh, and there was a sort of stuck in the middle where I want to kind of be a Christian, but I don't really want to do the things a Christian does. And I really want to get the benefit of peace and joy and, and godliness in my life, but I don't really want to like take the effort and the time to do that. And you, you know, finally, you, you sort of just—I was just getting to the point where, like, can you guys make a decision? Are you like going to be for Christ? Uh, this really isn't an insurmountable uh, problem. I mean, you really can do this. Uh, and yeah, so how do you deal with? Opposition. How do you deal with it? It's internal in your head, external, whether it's nationwide. How do we deal with opposition? And I think, uh, like everything, uh, we need to turn to Jesus, right? And look at uh, the life of Jesus and how did Jesus handle it and, and what is he saying to us. And, you know, Jesus faced tremendous opposition, both internal opposition, external opposition, uh, opposition from the people you'd least expect it. For Jesus, his main source of opposition were the religious leaders and the things that they were most frustrated about that Jesus did, go figure, was that he worked on the Sabbath. I mean, the fact that he did all these great things, healed people, helped people, served people, loved people, they couldn't get past the fact that he was working and he shouldn't work, right? So just like the small things. And it just drove Jesus nuts. I mean, he just like was constantly like frustrated with them. And didn't always say nice things to them. Uh, and he had to deal with it. And uh, not only that, like any leader, at some point, if you're just starting in leadership, you're just taking some small role, somebody's going to ask you, who do you think you are? And in Jesus' case, he was asked, who gives you the authority? Who do you think you are, Jesus? You know, and Jesus is like, well, I'm son of God, you know, uh, uh, I think I've got some authority here, uh, you, you know, but people didn't believe it, didn't like it, didn't want to listen to it. But what authority are you doing these things? And then if external opposition isn't bad enough, Jesus had to deal with the worst part of internal opposition, his disciple Judas betraying him. Wow. I mean, the person you've invested in, the person that you've hung out with, the, the person that you've, like, try to invest in the kingdom and the bigger plan, uh, not only disagrees with you, not only is angry with you, but betrays you. I mean, this is just ridiculous opposition that Jesus has to endure and overcome. Uh, and then finally, uh, Jesus dies on the cross, right? And, and as we looked at last week in just uh, Jesus' response, Lord, they do not know what they do. Please forgive them. I mean, just incredible uh, role modeling to us and helping us with our everyday life. Uh, when we face opposition externally, when we face opposition internally, 
I mean, it's the sense that, God, uh, unless you're with me, unless you strengthen me, unless you help me, I can't do it on my own. And Jesus' testimony is, I will be with you. I have given you and I have sent the Holy Spirit to comfort you and to lead you and to guide you and to give you wisdom. You need to depend on me. You need to depend on the Holy Spirit. You need to take practical steps like Nehemiah that are godly, that helps you move in the direction to get out of the conflict. Uh, you don't succumb to the enemy. I mean, Jesus is just a tremendous uh, witness to us. But let me, just, uh, let me just end there and just say, Lord, uh, we just thank you that we can look to you. You overcame uh, all the odds. And uh, you even overcame the worst possible thing that could happen is dying. And in your resurrection, you said, God, there's hope. We can overcome the evil one. We can overcome evil. We can overcome sickness. We can overcome disease. Lord, we can overcome our spouses when they just mean and nasty to us. Lord, we can overcome anything by the power of your Holy Spirit within us. And Lord, if we can't overcome it, we can stay uh, focused with you to, the, to our death. And we can still experience a sense of peace and your pleasure in us, that we're faithful, that we love you. So Lord Jesus, I just pray for your people today. We all face opposition at times in our lives. Sometimes it's worse than others. Lord, sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's governmental systems or institutions. Lord, sometimes it's our own family. Lord, I just pray for each person here today that you would strengthen them, that you would impart a sense of hope. Lord, that with you, all things are possible. Lord, I just speak freedom and peace and joy. And Lord, just like Nehemiah, we do reflect on the good things that you've done in our lives and have done and are doing. And Lord, we look forward to tomorrow being a brighter day and a future in you and a hope in you. And so, Lord, we just give you our trials, our problems, and we hand them to you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Why don't we uh, have the worship team come on up and close us out, and, and then uh, and you can just leave the lights on there for us while we do a closing song, and, and then we'll respond for those that would like prayer. Well, God, why don't you stand and we'll, we'll close in a worship song. Why don't you stand? Lord Jesus, we do ask uh, for more of you, Lord. And uh, I just encourage some of you to come forward. You know, we love to pray for you for a specific uh, direction of the Lord in your life. You're welcome to just hang out in your chair and pray. But uh, for some of you, I think you are asking for strength to continue. You are feeling particularly beaten down. Uh, you're praying for wisdom from God for your situation. 
And uh, if that's you, I, I just encourage you to come forward, receive prayer from our prayer team, from our, our prayer ministry, and allow them to pray for you. And uh, I'll have Kevin share what uh, they felt like the Lord was saying in prayer this morning. Uh, so this morning there were a couple pictures. Uh, the first picture was of this building, um, or like this temple. Uh, the sense was that it was God's house. And uh, it was dark outside, and the lights were on in his house. And the windows um, in God's house opened sort of supernaturally, bigger than the window frame. And they were letting out this orange healing light. Uh, so the sense was that... Um, you know, there was an invitation for us to come into God's house to God and receive his healing and his peace. Um, so, so maybe for some of us in we're facing opposition, we, we can come to God and receive his healing and his peace. And I think the other side of that sword is coming into his house are his people, uh, his church. And sometimes we need to come to each other and uh, receive that healing and that peace. Uh, the second picture was of a mold, like like a cake mold or a jello mold. And the sense was that the Lord wanted to break that mold and make something new. And uh, again, I felt like this was a two-edged sword. It, it could represent our church as we find our new building. Um, it can look uh, very different. It can, it can break the mold. Uh, we, can, we can be unique, wh whatever he wants us to be. Uh, but then, secondly, I felt like it was for today that maybe some of you facing opposition, you feel like th there's a mold. Th there, there's a fixed way that you have dealt with it, and it hasn't worked. And, and I believe the Lord wants to reshape that and give you a new way of, uh, of coming to him and, and uh, finding his healing in that. So I uh, just want to throw that out there, and, and if um, you want prayer for anything else we'd love to pray with you mm -hmm. tell you what before we uh, come forward for prayer let's just wait for a few half minute or so on the lord and uh, if some of you feel like the lord is giving you a prophetic word um, why don't you come up here and and uh, let, let's just see what the lord might have for what he's saying so lord we just uh, stand before you and we just ask for more of you in our lives. We ask for your love and your direction. And Lord, we just want to spend a few seconds uh, just waiting on you. That you cannot put new wine in old wineskins because if you do, the old wineskins will break. You have to put new wine in new Wineskins. So if that applies to you, um, oh, and the church, yeah, and that's often the case, right? So a, a word like this, we feel the impression of the Lord can be on multiple levels. So new wine, new wineskin, new facility, new building, uh, or something God is doing in your life. You can't just do the same thing in the same way and expect a different result. God doing something new, give it a new container, do it in a different way. Uh, if that's you, come forward for prayer. Uh, bless you guys. Uh, why don't you hit some of these lights for us, uh, Dave? Put, leave the back one on as well, the very back one, and we can switch this one off.
and let somebody know how to get out of here. You can switch that one off. That'll be great. Bless you guys. Uh, have a great week. Jesus, I just pray blessing on your people. Uh, and for those that need prayer, would like prayer, would like somebody to pray for them, Lord, I just pray for the boldness to come forward and respond. And for those that are good, Lord, want to have conversation, just bless them. Have a great week. In your name, amen.